title of this sermon is The God Who Hears. And I thought this would be a good, this has been a crazy year for all of us, right? Uh, I'm sure you know, uh, I've had a number of family members I had to preach their funerals this year. been very difficult to say goodbye. Things we plan has, has to be disrupted. This whole year has been, last year has been really trying on us and we want to know where can we find rest, where can we find help. Psalm 116, we believe David wrote it. He says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplication because he has inclined his ear to me therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live the cords of death encompass me and the I found distress and sorrow then I called upon the name of the Lord O Lord I beseech you save my life Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord. I believed when I said, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation. And upon the name of the Lord, I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Precious. In the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you. O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. God reminds you in this passage that whatever trial you are in, prayer to Him is your greatest comfort. He reminds you that whatever trial you are in, prayer to Him is your greatest comfort. David here, we believe David, gives you three encouragements Three encouragements to the agonizing saint to commune with God in prayer. Now this has application not just in death, it has application with whatever trial God has seen fit to allow in your life. The very first one that David states here is number one, to pray to him for his listening ear always hears. Pray to him for his listening ear 
always hears. And I, I think, I don't think we pause here enough. I think I was reminded of this last Friday when uh, Brother Ty was teaching on prayer and how we have this throne of grace that we could come to. This resource that every Christian has. David says as an expression, he says, I love the Lord. This is his expression and his affection. He is bursting out. And there are many reasons to love the Lord, is there not? There are many reasons we love him for his forgiveness. We love, we love him because he gave us his son. And whoever trusts in his son shall be saved. We love him that he has removed the sin that separates us from God the Father. We love him because of his kindness to us. We love him because of his provision to us. We love him for his creative power in the earth that he's created around us. We love him for his sovereignty. We love him for his omniscience. And yet what David says in one particular point he makes in this whole psalm, I love him for one reason here. There are many reasons to love the Lord, but here's the reason that I love him. This is the one particular reason This is where his theology of God's omniscience now becomes personal. I know that God knows all things, but I know how this works in my life. And the reason that he says that he loves the Lord is because he hears my prayer. He hears my voice. He hears my supplications. God pays attention when his saints beckon. You understand that, brother and sister? When they call to him as a loving father, he stoops down to listen. No, it's not the stranger's child crying that draws him. It is his own children. He hears them in the crowd. The psalmist is confident in that he hears. Notice what David says. He says, my voice. This cannot get any more personal, brothers and sisters. That God in his infinite glory and power in majesty and in control of all nature and all of the world's affairs amongst all of the voices and all the political lobbying and thirst for attention and influence in this world, even the most unimpressive, the most common, the most simple of all saints has the ear of God. It has been said... God hears every single one of his children's prayers as if there was only one of his children to listen to. Oh, I love that he's never too busy for me. I don't need to set an appointment. He hears me at all times. I, I don't need to feel guilty of giving him too, many of, too much of my problems, of unloading on him. In Christ, brother and sister, if you're hurting today, there is a throne of grace which he gives to you because of his kindness. And in that throne of grace, he gives you full attention. God knows your prayer voice. He knows your quiet struggle. He says, my supplications, and this is indeed, the word there implies a begging, a begging for favor. 
David will not stop knocking on the door of heaven until he receives blessing. Oh, brothers and sisters, this ought to be our passion and our heart, knowing that if God indeed hears, does not Jesus say, ask and what? It shall be given unto you. Spurgeon said it this way, that we should not give heaven's door any rest. We must assail it with prayers. God is not so abstract that you ask him in generalities. Notice the supplications are distinct requests. He doesn't need us to have ambiguous, unmentioned problems. Oh, you know, I'm just going through things. I'm just going through things. I don't want to bother you. That's what you would say to a friend sometimes when you don't want to give them all your problems. You'd say, I don't want to bother you. I'm going through so much. That is not how God is. He wants to hear all of it. Even the mess you have made. You understand? Even the struggles because of the mess you have made. He is not a God where you have to be ashamed of unloading too much. His shoulders are big enough for you, brothers and sisters. Doesn't he tell us to cast all our anxiety upon him? Because he what? Cares for you. Notice he says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. Verse 2. Because he has inclined his ear to me. The imagery is that of a father stooping down to hear the requests of his toddler. No, you are not a burden to listen to. Not one of his children are a burden to listen to. Saint, you have not sinned so much that he will give you the silent treatment. He won't do that. If you come to him in true confession and repentance, trusting only what Christ has done, he will hear your prayers. Amen. You see, when no one else will listen, when no one else has time for you, when no one else understands, God will. And notice this response. He says, Therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. Now this moves away from the simply abstract Christianity to the sweetness of walking with Christ. The understanding is this, that because God is omniscient and God is omnipresent, this theology now is not simply sitting on a bookshelf, dusty, unused, Unknown, without any uh, intercept into my, without any intersection into my life. But this knowledge that God is omniscient and omnipresent and He is sovereign over all things, now this has a bearing on how I communicate with Him. If God does hear all of His people, and God is all-powerful, and God is kind in His workings in my life, why don't I communicate with Him? Why don't I pour out my heart to Him? You know, you know what I love about prayer to the triune God? Is I never get a busy signal. Amen. 
I never get, you know, those responses, not deliverable email. You ever get those? Like, I got the address wrong, and it comes back. I never get those, try again later, no connection. Notifications. The psalmist's love and prayer life is now cemented. He says, I shall call upon him, notice he says, I shall call upon him as long as I live. I shall call upon him first, before any other. We were talking about this in our discussion group in um, Crew 412, our youth, uh, our youth group. Why is it when we go get into problems, we go first to our disciples or our parents or our friends and we go last to God? That ought not be. David says, I shall call upon him as long as I live. Notice it's, he's calling on him first, and now he's calling on him frequently. This is a lifelong pursuit. Brothers and sisters, you never arrive where you say, well, I, I think I got this now. I think I understand this now. I think I under, know how to do this Christian life now. No. Prayer is a submission a practical outworking of submission to the will of God in your life. Now, this does not mean, please understand, we are not advocating as a church that you do not do what's needful for the situation. Okay? If you have no money, you should be praying for a job and looking for a job. You see how that works. We're not saying don't do those things. But... Even after doing what is needful, the dependence and the trust is in God that's going to work through that. And that's expressed in prayer. You can't tell me, no matter what you tell me, your dependence on God is always expressed in prayer. It's always communicated in prayer. Why? Because it, it is stating, I cannot do this. I don't have the power to change this. I am weak, God. Notice the occasion. And here's the intensity that David was facing. This is what we believe. He says, the cords of death encompass me. Verse 3. Those cords of death, that is imagery of hunting with a net or a snare. The net would fall upon the beast and the animal would look one way and another and all these hunters would come and there was no way of escape for the cords encompass the beast. The word there, encompass, means to surround or to hold strong or to hold fast. The cords of death were bent on my destruction. In our vernacular, you would say, I'm trapped and there is nothing that I or anyone can do to get me out of this. You ever feel like that in a trial? No one could help me. I feel alone in this trial. I'm by myself. He says, David says, And the terrors of Sheol came upon me. The terrors are, the word there for terrors mean hardship and distress. The word there for Sheol is the place of death. We don't know exactly what occasion was prompting David to, to, to write this. But we know he feared for his life. I could think of three situations where he would probably write this. 
Maybe it's the heartbreak of his best friend. Remember, Jonathan was his best friend. His father, Saul, wanted to kill him because he was jealous. And David was greatly agitated and scared for his life, and he had to live in the woods, in the wilderness. Or maybe it was when different tribes of the Canaanites sought his life, and he hid in the caves of En Gedi. But sometimes I think the way he wrote, I think with the emotion here, I think maybe it was the heart-wrenching treachery of his own son Absalom. Angry with his father's sin of being a lazy dad and not wanting to act righteously. His own son, imagine this, David's own son Absalom plotted to kill him. Not only was his son estranged, but his son publicly stated he wanted to kill David. That would cause me distress and sorrow. And pain. No matter how bad it is, even if you have sinned to make it to be so, oh hurting Christian, he hears you. All you need is but confess and repent. He hears you. This is the promise. This is the birthright of the Christian. You understand that? You can talk to God. You're no longer bound by a priest. There is no longer any other intermediary but Christ himself. The veil is broken, brothers and sisters. There is a throne of grace of which we can have grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness in Him. It is to the God who hears. Saint, have you sinned so much that you don't think your heavenly Father wants to even listen to you? Oh, how wrong you are. How wrong you have it. Run to the cross there. Commune with God. Run to the cross. There, In that true holy sight, there is a divine appointment for you. Number one. Pray to him, for his listening ear always hears. Always hears. Number two. Pray to him, for his sustaining grace always suffices. Pray to him, for his sustaining grace always suffices. And you notice this prayer of agony that... The Christian is going through. In verse 4, he says, Then I called upon the name of the Lord. Oh, Christian, if you are not praying, don't you know God knows how to make you pray? It is when the Christian is at the end of himself or herself, then is the sweetest and most true and most genuine prayer offered up. It is in the deepest trial where the Christian clings tighter to Christ. It is at these times when he allows his presence to be known more. And here's his prayer. Notice what he says. O Lord, I beseech thee, save my life. The word there for beseech means, oh, please, I pray. It's a begging. You know, it's, what's interesting is, I would think he's introducing 
that I love God because he hears my prayer. He, that's, what, that's what I think he's doing, right? And I would think that his prayer was going to be long, extensive, theologically correct, full, maybe even poetic. But notice his prayer. Oh Lord, I beseech thee, save my life. Oh Lord is a recognition of God's sovereignty, his omnipotence, his omniscience, and his rightful rule over your life. It's you finally saying, yes, you are God. There is trial in my life, but you are God. You say in your word, you have caused all things to work for the good of those who love him. You say that you are in the heaven and you do whatever you please. You say that you love your people. I beseech thee is a recognition that God does not owe you anything, but that you simply rest in his grace. God, please work on my behalf. Save my life is here is most likely physical life, but it can relate to the spiritual. That would be our application here. Some folks, as our Lord Jesus rebuked, if you look in Matthew chapter 5, they think that if their prayers are long-winded and they use Old English, that God will be more apt to listen. No, brothers and sisters, God listens to the authentic prayer of the heart. Oh Lord, I beseech you, save my life. There is no pure prayer than the troubled child of God crying out for his or her father. Sometimes we get to a point where we're almost prayed out. You ever get there? You're cried out and you're prayed out. Listen to our brother Spurgeon. Okay. Let no person here say, I am in the distress which you have described, but I cannot pray. Why not? I have no words. You want no words? Wordless prayers are frequently the best. But I could only groan. Groan away, brother! But I feel as if I could only sigh. Sigh then! My heart aches, but I do not know how to express myself. Do not express yourself. Let your heart ache on. Only let it ache up to God. Turn all your desires toward Him. And let this be the intense pleading of your spirit. O Lord, I beseech Thee, deliver my soul. He is the God of comfort. Notice in verse 5, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The only assurance given to the Christian that God will hear is based on the character of God himself. This is who he is and he will not change, you understand. My God, if he has given us his son, if that is true, would he not freely give us all things? And the answer is yes. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. He's gracious that it is he who acts on our benefit despite us deserving judgment. He is righteous that in whatever he does, he does what is just and correct according to his character. 
He will never be malicious or send trial in a jesting manner. Our trials can always be seen as necessary in him conforming us to his son. He is compassionate. David says, yes, our God is compassionate. That is, he is sympathetic. I was reminded again. Hebrews 4 says, since then, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold our confession. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. And I asked the students, what does sympathize mean? And they said, he knows how we feel. You have a God who knows how you feel. You have the God-man who put on flesh and was tempted in all things yet without sin. Notice he says the Lord, verse 6, preserves us simple. Sometimes it's translated naive. You were brought... Sometimes we go through these trials, is it not, brothers and sisters? You go through these trials where you're brought to a place and you say in your heart, I don't even know what to do. I just don't know what to do. I don't even know what my next step is. I was brought low and he saved me. He gives God gives is opposed to the proud but he gives grace to the humble we must receive our trials humbly and it's okay to go to him when you don't know what to do that's what he desires he says in verse 7 return to your rest O my soul for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you rehearse once again what Christ has done for me on the cross, what he has done for me in all his provisions. Let me rest in that. Let me be reminded of his goodness to me. Let me be reminded of his love for me. Let me be reminded of all of that. Because I could think of the trial and sometimes the trial just distracts me. Verse 8, for thou hast rescued my soul from death. Save me from eternal damnation. My eyes from tears. Save me from eternal sadness. My feet from stumbling. Save me from eternal ruin. Verse 9. Here's hope, brothers and sisters. He says, I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. There's a parallel verse to that in Proverbs 27. It says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Brothers and sisters, you will once again smile in this day. The sun will come out again. He says the land of the living, what that means is the now. He can give you joy now. He could give you healing now. He could remind you of goodness now. Oh God, just restore myself, the joy of my salvation to me. Verse 10. I believed when I said I am greatly afflicted. And then you have this puzzling verse here. Portion of the verse in verse 10. 
He says, I said in my alarm, all men are liars. Now, what does that mean? In context, what David is saying is that when people offer worldly advice and promise comfort with it, it only leaves me dry. If I follow your worldly advice and you promise me comfort, I come up empty still. Because all that you could offer me are lies. Here's a lie. Here's a lie. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Great. That's supposed to comfort me. That is a worldly lie. Christ says, run to him. Not that he makes me stronger in that sense, but that he makes me more Christ-like. Here's another lie. Here's another lie. Oh, don't worry. Keep your chin up. There'll be better days. Oh, brothers and sisters, without Christ, let me tell you, you can't promise me that. Can you promise me that? No, you can't. They're lies. Oh, sometimes, brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to comfort people. Here's what Spurgeon said. Many a soul has felt that and felt also that it could not get away from the terrible grip. Some who know nothing of contrition and heartbreak inquire, why do they not get out of such bondage? Here, here's what he's saying in his language. He's saying, the folks who have never really gone through trials... Look at saints who are struggling with trials and they say, Oh, come on! Why don't you get over it already? Why don't you just get out of that bondage? You know how heartbreaking that is? You know how unfeeling that is? That is not like your Savior, the sympathetic high priest. Spurgeon continues, Ah, but if you were in that condition, such a question would grieve, if not exasperate you. I have known persons put a great many questions to troubled hearts, which they themselves could not answer if they were in that state. Do you ask a man who has both broken legs and lies across the rails of a railway, why don't you walk home? Why does he not walk home? Say rather, why do you ask such a foolish question? When a poor soul is broken to pieces and despairing, tell him what Christ did for him. Say very little about what he ought to do. You will never comfort the desponding man by telling him his duty. Speak rather of Jesus' love. Poor souls, they are disturbed and tossed about that they can do nothing. Tell them what Jesus has done. That is the way to bring light to their souls. That's why David said, I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That's why David said, For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you, my soul. Tell them what Jesus has done. They will again see the sun. Lastly, 
First, pray to him for his listening ear always hears. Second, pray to him for the sustaining grace always suffices. And number three, pray to him for his restoring power always employs. And what I mean by employs is he allows you to get back up. It's not just that he hears. It's not just that he gives you grace to endure. But he allows you to get back up to have a fruitful life in Christ. Very much like what Jason read this morning. If you recall, the last part of 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about death. And then the last verse he ends with, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. David says, what shall I render to the cup for all his benefits toward me? I must do something in thanks, in love, because of all that he has given me. Verse 13, I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will glorify you for what you've done. This cup of salvation is the sum totality of what you've done. Forgiveness of sins, kindness, love, sanctification of my soul, patience with me. I lift it up and I call upon you. Notice he he gives again. Verse 14. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may be in the presence of his people. And verse 19. Same thing. In the courts of the Lord's house. In the midst of Jerusalem. He gets in the congregation again. He doesn't get himself separate from the church. Notice in verse 15. His restoring power clears his thinking. Precious. In the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. I was uh, talking to a good friend. He's a youth pastor. His name is Daniel Arcilla. Last night, I called him. He can barely talk, he's on oxygen. He didn't even sound like himself. And I asked him, is it true about Ron? Is it true? I, I need to know. And he, he said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. But he couldn't finish it because he was out of breath. He said, precious in the sight of the Lord. I had to finish it for him is the death of his godly ones. And he wept and rejoiced at the same time. Why this statement? Why is it in this text? Because the temptation is to think that death is so bad that God must not care. There's your temptation. You understand? And the Bible says that is not true. It's precious to God. The same word is used for rare precious stones. It's costly. It's valuable. This means he is with them when they die. This means he comforts them when they die. This means it is a fragrant aroma to him when they trust in the Savior. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. We're never alone, brothers and sisters. When we walk in the valley of the shadow of death. And in verse 16. 
It's interesting. It says, O Lord, surely I am thy servant, I am thy servant, the son of thy handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. To thee I will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. There is service, and in the later verse, there is worship. It's, it's very interesting, you know, how, how, I, how you see this played out. I was getting ready to come here, and I opened my phone, and I saw who was teaching... Um, in other churches, I saw my brother, Nick Bonifacio. He was teaching the adult training seminar, the, uh, the equipping hour that we would have. He got up and taught today. What you may not know is that his brother-in-law is Ron. His sister is the wife of Ron. And all of them are staying at his house. And they're weeping. And they're crying because they lost dad, lost their husband. And he gets up and he teaches. I surely, I am thy servant. I am thy servant, the son of the handmaid. I, to thee I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and Call upon the name of the Lord. Oh, brothers and sisters, you feel like you have been hurt and you're broken and you can't get up. And there is strength in Christ. You can get up and serve him again. Run to him. He is there for you. He desires to hear all of your problems. He desires to comfort you in all of them. He is not a God divorced from you, you understand. He is intimately acquainted with you. Psalm 139 says he knows every aspect of your movements on this earth. He knows every hair on your head. Yes, you can praise him again. You can serve him again in the land of the living brothers and sisters. Run to the Savior. Father in heaven... Thank you for Christ. Thank you that we have this wonderful access. We have your ear. Thank you that Ron is in your presence. And Lord, whatever our brothers and sisters are going through here, remind them there is, there is one who always hears them, who will always comfort, who will always strengthen even when we can't even have when we don't even have strength to pray anymore thank you that you give this to your children in Jesus name amen